You know, tomorrow night, by about 11 o'clock, we're going to know who is the national championship football team. And there are going to be a lot of people that are crying out, we're number one. And that's an exciting time. Because when your team is number one, I'm telling you, you shout it, you celebrate it, you share it, you post it. Some of you will even tattoo it on your body. We do live in Alabama, right? Because that is a big deal. You know, a lot of people who come here or who may be from a distance look here and think, what is wrong with those people? They are crazy the way we get about college football. But let me just be honest with you. I don't care. How about you? We, we, we love our college football and Auburn wins tomorrow night. It will be celebrated. What an amazing fact. It may be the national championship has landed in this state for five years in a row. What other state could say that? So we don't apologize about the way we love it. And we're going to celebrate it. Because when you're number one, it's a big deal. Because there's only, at the end of the season, with all the teams that played, there's only one number one. And that's a big deal. Now, today we begin a study of the book of Colossians. And, and what Paul is going to try to say in this letter is a big deal. He's going to say that he, Jesus, is number one. He's going to proclaim that Christ belongs in first place in our lives. Now let's look at a couple of scriptures in, in, in chapter 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. When it says Jesus is the firstborn there, he's not saying he's born before anybody else. What he's saying is he is the first rank of all creation. He's the number one birth of all time. And then down in verse 18, Paul says he is the head of the body, which is the church. Everything comes from him. He is the first one who is raised from the dead. So then all things, here we go, Jesus has first place. Did you hear that? In all things, Jesus has first place. You say, okay, buddy, of course he's Jesus. Why does Paul have to write this? We all know Jesus is first place. Come on. Why does he have to write this? Well, let me, let me explain some things about the book of Colossians to you. There were some problems going on in this church at Colossae. You know, I like what I heard somebody say once. He said, this would be a great church if it weren't for the people in it. Well, um, the church always has problems, doesn't it? There's no problem-free church. And this church was that way. I, I love when I get the chance to teach Landmark 101. I always say in that class, I feel like some of you guys are looking for a perfect church. There is no such thing. But if you find a perfect church, let me go ahead and warn you, don't you dare join it. Because you will mess it up, all right? Because that's what people do. We mess it up. And this church is sort of messed up. Now, understand, Colossae is not a major city. But it is a city where there's all kinds of philosophies that have come together. You've got pagan philosophy about life. You've got Jewish and Hebrew philosophy. You've got Greek philosophy. You even have a little Oriental Eastern philosophy mixed in in this book. And so it's caused them to have all kinds of problems. Let me just give you a list of them as we get started. Some of them are getting into astrology. They're opening their newspaper, and the first place they go is to the horoscope, right? 
Because they believe the stars have a special meaning about what's going to go on in your life. Some of them are going into that. Some of them are into angel worship. Paul says they've got a false humility, but it's false. These people think they're better than everybody else in the church because they have communicated with angels. And they're getting sort of puffy about it. And they're beginning to put angels in a place they don't belong and there's another segment of the church that's beginning to impose the Old Testament dietary laws. The Jewish segment saying, yeah, we know all you Gentiles have become Christians, and that's a really cool thing, but just following Jesus is not enough. You also need to keep the Old Testament festivals, the Jewish festivals, and the Jewish dietary laws. We see a movement like that even in our own country today. And they're beginning to impose them in a very legalistic way. And then on the other side, you're going to see some other problems. Some of the people are beginning to impose very rigid rules. Uh, And yet on the other extreme of this church, there are a bunch of folks who are living with no rules at all. They're in loose living. Isn't that wild? This is a a mixed-up church. Anybody remember Brill Cream? It's one of the first men's hair gel. You got that? Anybody remember Brill Cream's um, slogan? But you guys, man, you wore it, didn't you, until your hair fell out, right? <laughs> a little dab will do it. Well, this, this is, as I was reading one commentary said, this church had the Brill Cream philosophy, a little dab will do it. And they got a little dab of this, and a little dab of this, and a little dab of that. And it's a mixed up mess. Now, you say, how in the world these last two, could part of them be into these rigid rules, and part of them in just doing anything? Here's the key to understanding this book. They are beginning to believe that the body itself is evil, that your human body is evil. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? It changes everything. Some people finding out the body is evil decide since the body's evil, I got to have 10,000 rules for everything I do. And I'm going to get real rigid and legalistic. And if you don't keep my rules, then you're not following God. Other people believing the body's evil go, well, it's evil. It doesn't really matter what you do because your body's already evil. So go ahead and do what you want because all God cares about is your spirit and your body is separate. But deeper than this, the real problem here is if you decide the body is evil, what major Christian doctrine do you have to reject? Let me give you a hint. It's the one we just spent the month of December talking about. You have to reject the incarnation. You can't believe that Jesus actually, that God came in a body. If the body is evil, then Jesus could not have been God in that body. And so because of this, there's a movement in Colossae to demote Jesus. Not to reject Jesus. They still think Jesus is cool. They still think he was a great teacher. They think he was a holy guru. But he was a man in an evil body, and so he's no different than anybody else. And that's why Paul is having to write this. Because at core, to believe the things these churches are believing, it means a rejection of the very identity of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus becomes prestigious, but not preeminent. He's cool, but he's not on top. And that's the problem. Now here's the subtle issue. This is why some of the people there were not picking up on this. And I think in our culture, we may not pick up on this. They're not completely rejecting Jesus. They still love 
Jesus, okay? But here's practically what the philosophy ends up saying. What you need to be saved, what you need to go to heaven, what you need to live a a good life is you need Jesus plus fill in the blank. For them, it might, it's cool that you know Jesus, but if you don't really speak to angels, you don't really have it. It's cool that you got Jesus, but if you don't keep these Old Testament dietary laws and you just go out eating your pork, you know, barbecue anytime you want to, you're in trouble. Yeah, you need Jesus and he's, he's really awesome, but you need all these rules and regulations on top of it. I mean, it was Jesus plus something else, which seems, it sort of makes sense. I mean, it's very modern. That's why it's hit me in studying the book of Colossians is this book is as fresh as as your morning newspaper because it's exactly what's going on now. Nobody wants, very few anyway, want to be opposed to Jesus. Who wants to not like Jesus? But, But what we're finding out today is a philosophy, just like the Colossae church face, that what you want is you need Jesus, yes, but you need to plus him with something else. What it says is, Jesus is awesome, but he's not enough. So you need Jesus plus, let's mix in a little bit of Buddha. You need Jesus plus Joseph Smith's teaching. You need Jesus plus Muhammad. You need Jesus plus some kind of Eastern religion. You need Jesus plus some kind of New Age movement where you believe that rocks have power to change your life. So it's the same deal. And again, it seems very subtle because you love Jesus. And when Jesus comes up, you speak well of Jesus. But you don't think he's number one. You think that he's one among equals. Because that is exactly what is happening in America today. That's why we call this a pluralistic society. What it means is, in religion, they're all equal. And the leader of this movement, the spiritual guru of our time, is none other than Oprah Winfrey. You you know that. Now, I'm not anti-Oprah, all right? But I do have a problem with anybody who puts their picture on their magazine every month. (laughs) She's cute, isn't she? But I'm telling you, she's the best at this. Because Oprah can get teary-eyed about Jesus and about grace and all those things. But she sure doesn't think he's the only way. It's Jesus plus this new philosophy and Jesus plus this new book. And Jesus, she's got it down pat. And I'm not just trying to blame her. That's the movement of our country. And guys, here's our question today. Here's the question facing the church at Colossae. Do we really believe that Jesus is enough? Or do we have to add something else? Now here's what happened. In the middle of all of these different philosophies, Greek, Jewish, Oriental, pagan, the church at Colossae has become confused and they've lost their confidence. And my friends, that's exactly what's happening to the church today. We hear all these new views. We hear morals questioned and become law that we never dreamed could. We hear all these philosophies 
And our country is going the way of Western Europe where everything's equal. And yeah, you can have your Jesus, but I can have my Muhammad and you can have your Buddha and you can have your philosophy or you can have no belief at all. And it's, it's all cool. And you know what it's doing to us, guys? It's giving us a crisis of competence. We're not as bold about what we believed as we once were. Because there's so much swirling around us. And quite frankly, man, if you don't stay grounded in the Word of God, and you don't stay grounded in Jesus Christ, it is confusing. And parents, your children are growing up in a world that's different than yours. And if you want them to follow Jesus, you better make sure they're grounded. And grandparents, if you want your children to follow the same Jesus you follow and not a Jesus plus, you better do everything you can to have them grounded because they're not going to be grounded in our culture. I like the story of Napoleon. And he was wanting a new sculpture for the famous museum in Paris, the Louvre. And he asked the famous German sculptor to come to Paris and make a sculpture of the god Zeus. And the German sculptor said no. Napoleon began to offer him lots of money. He offered him land. He offered him a position even in his cabinet. And the man continued to say no. And finally Napoleon, the most powerful man on earth at that time, pressed him and the man said, Sir, I've made a statue of Jesus Christ and I can never lower my chisel to carve any inferior subject. And that's what Paul wants you and I to understand today. Is anything is inferior to Jesus. So, if you got all these problems, Paul, how are you going to address this? Go with me to Colossians chapter 1. Let's read the first 14 verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. We always thank God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. The faith that you have that springs from hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You heard it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to Reveal to you that his knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So that you may have great endurance and patience. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Oh, listen to this. For he has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, honestly, Paul's introduction surprises me. 
you got this many problems? If in the book of Galatians, he jumps right in and says, what's happened to you mess? What are you doing? But in this one, Paul does something different. And let's, let's, let's write down some things here. He reminds them of what Jesus has done. I'm just going to show this to you really quickly. But in this, he reminds them of what has been done. And we're going to start verse 14 and work our way back. First of all, he says, Jesus has rescued you. He's rescued you. You were in the kingdom of darkness, and now you're in the kingdom of light. You ever been a part of rescuing somebody? Maybe someone was in a terrible place physically or maybe emotionally. We were blessed over the holidays to be a part of an intervention of a dear loved one whose life was in complete darkness. And you gather the people who love this person the most and you tell them why you love them and you tell them why you're scared for them and you tell them you want them to get help. It's one of the most emotional and touching things I've ever been a part of in my life. Their life is so out of control that the people who love them have to intervene. Friends, that's what Jesus did for us. This world was so out of control, Jesus came and he intervened. Look at that passage one more time. For he has rescued us, verse 13, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Can I ask you this morning, do you remember when Jesus rescued you? Number two, Jesus worked through you. Listen to me. Colossae is a small town. It's not significant. Paul has never visited this town. It seems that this fellow, Ephaphras, possibly may have heard Paul preach the gospel in Ephesus and took it back to his town. But this, this nobody guy who's mentioned nowhere else in Scripture, listen to what Paul says to him in verse 7. You learned it from Ephaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. He said, I want you to remember that God uses the nobodies to do great things. Can I ask you this morning? Can you remember when God used you to accomplish his will? Can you remember in your life when you led someone to Christ? Can you remember when you baptized your child? Can you remember when you taught that Bible class and it made a difference in someone's life? Can you remember in life group when someone had a breakthrough and you were able to be a part of that? Number three, Jesus helped you truly understand God's grace. My friends, God is sometimes so hard to figure out. And if all you had was the Old Testament, my frank belief is we would all be really confused. You don't really truly understand God's grace until you see it in the package, in the visual aid of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. In the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Because I can, I can remember in my own life when I was reading the gospels and I saw how Jesus treated Simon Peter and I heard somebody say, the way Jesus treats him is the way God treats you. And it blew my mind because I didn't understand God's grace growing up. I wish I could tell you I learned it in Galatians or Romans or something deep like that. But I just saw it in Jesus. And that changed everything. Can I ask you today? Can you remember when you 
truly understood God's grace? Number four, Jesus gave you a foundation of faith, hope, and love. You saw that in that passage. He says, your life has been built on the big three. First Corinthians 13 says, everything else is going away, but these three will remain. Faith, you trust God. Hope, you have a joyful expectation of what God is going to do in your life in eternity. And love, it's as basic as loving people. I'm not going to look at the scripture with you, but I want to ask you this morning. Do you remember when your life was so simple and so uncomplicated and all these other philosophies and things weren't bogging you down and you just were living off the foundation of faith and hope and love and life was good? Number five, Jesus gave you a new identity. All right? Jesus gave you a new identity. This is what amazes me about this book. As many problems and goofy philosophies as this church is into, he addresses these people as saints. Now, we don't really like the term saint. We, 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 we sort of use it disparagingly. Oh, man, that dude, he thinks he's a saint. But in the Bible, the word saint is an incredibly powerful word. It simply means someone who's holy. What does the word holy mean? It means someone who's been set apart. If we talk about the temple, we say that building was a holy place because it was different than any other building. It was set apart for God. And when we talk about our lives being the temple of the Holy Spirit, what it means is out of everybody on this earth, God has set you apart. He's made you a saint. He's made you holy. You are His. And so in Christ, we get a new identity as saints and faithful brothers. You see, here's what Paul's doing. Before he addresses the problems, he wants to remind them of who they are. Because if you know who you are, you will know what to do. Paul is always good about addressing belief before he addresses behavior. And that's exactly what he's going to do in this book. So can I ask you? Do you remember when you were rescued? Can you remember a time in your life when God worked through you? Do you remember that moment when you truly, for the first time, understood God's grace? It wasn't about your perfection or your performance. It was about Him. Do you remember that simple foundation? And do you remember today the identity that you were given in Christ? And here's what's going on here. If you forget those things, you will be an easy target. If you forget all the awesome things about Jesus and what he's done for you, you're going to always be searching for something. Some some of you, I watch us guys, some of us, we're always searching for something new. It's Jesus is just not enough. So I got to have this new philosophy, this new thing. My friend, you end up being an easy target if you're not at peace with you and Jesus. But here's what I want to say to you today. If you remember those things, he'll be number one. He'll just absolutely be number one. If you remember everything he's done for you, if you remember who he is, if you remember the identity that he's given you in in him, then listen to me. You're going to shout it. You're going to post it. You're going to share it. You're going to put it on your car. You're going to put it on your winch. You might even tattoo it on your body. 
because it's a big deal. And listen to me. There is only one number one in your life. It's not enough to be in second place. After tomorrow night, let's just be honest. The team that loses that game will largely be forgotten. That wild. And, and with Jesus Christ, it's not enough for Jesus to be close second. It's not enough for Jesus to be up there with some other things. It's not enough to say, you know what, I want Jesus plus this. No, I, I like Jesus. He's, 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 he's really cool and I love coming to church. But, but you know what, my family's just as important. I, I love Jesus, he's neat, but my career is really important. I love Jesus and he's great, you know, but, but my things are really, really important. They're up there too. I, I love Jesus, but, you know, my hobbies lots of times even come before him. I love Jesus. Listen to me, my friends. Jesus plus anything is not going to work. It didn't work 2,000 years ago. It's not going to work today. In fact, I'm afraid some of us are, here's what I really love, and let me just plus Jesus on top of it. You see, our theme for this year is Christ our life. That's taken from Colossians 3, verse 2. Christ our life. He's our life. And when the shepherds of this church led me in this direction to say, here's here's what we think this church needs, and you'll hear from them the next few weeks. What they're saying is, we don't want Jesus just to be a Sunday deal, a church deal. We want Christ to be our life. He's who you wake up thinking about. He's who you lay your head on your pillow praying to. He's the one that dominates your thoughts. He's the one who determines your priorities. He's the one who determines how you spend your money. He's the one who determines how you spend your time. I mean, Christ is not just a plus. He is everything. And listen to me. Paul understood that if they could get that, if they could understand that Jesus was number one and he deserved to be their life, every problem in that church would be solved. And listen to me, every problem and weakness in this church would be solved if we believe that. And let me also tell you this, in your life, if you'll put Jesus as number one, if Jesus will become your life, every problem in your life will be solved. But as long as you just think Jesus is cool and church is a good idea, but you're plussing something, that you're, you're letting something else be on an equal plane with Jesus, if not on a higher plane, it's going to one day be a disaster. Maybe you're like this guy named Roy Regal. He played in the Rose Bowl in 1912. He played for California. They were playing Georgia Tech. In the middle of the second quarter... Georgia Tech fumbled the ball, and Regals picked up the fumble. But in his excitement, he ran the wrong way. He actually ran 75 yards in the wrong way. Finally, one of his own teammates tackled him on the two-yard line before he scored a touchdown for Georgia Tech. It sort of messed the whole first half up. And they went in the locker room, and in the locker room, they're talking, and Regals is just in the corner, just crying his eyes out. At the end of the speech, the coach says, I want all the starting team back on the field. Regals was a starter, but he just stayed sitting there in the locker room. The whole team went out of the locker room, and finally the coach looks back and says, Roy, what are you doing? And he said, Coach, I ruined the game. I ruined the team. I've ruined everything. I'm a laughing stock. And the coach said to him, 
Roy, it's only halfway through the game. You belong on the field. And guys, I don't know if Jesus has been number one in your life or not. My guess is for many of us, he's faded. Or at least he's not on top. But what God would say to you today is, you're just halfway through, guys. As we start this new year, make him number one. Wouldn't it be cool if you could leave this assembly saying, I've made my decision. Christ is my life. You want to boil it all down, whole kick and caboodle. It's so simple. I'm about Jesus. He's number one. We ought to shout it, celebrate it, show it, share it. Because there's only one number one, and it's Jesus. If you need to make him number one in your life, If you need to let this church know you want to be number one. If you're ready to take a stand in this new year, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?